guys welcome back to another episode of the finding your freedom podcast i'm so happy to have you guys here today and have a great guest episode to share with you guys today um it's more what's what word do i want to say for this it's more on like more i guess on like the conversational side um me and Connor just had a lot of fun recording it there was a lot of laughs and I felt like I was I don't know like having a beer with a friend or something so yeah I really hope you guys enjoy the episode today um as far as a life update as you guys probably could tell from last week's episode July has been extremely chaotic for me um mentally (laughs) emotionally uh pretty much all the ways so I'm excited for August and then in September moving into a new apartment so excited for that and to feel a little bit more settled into Boston and my space and yeah routine here um and hopefully in August or September there will be a lot of new new updates and new projects that I will be releasing so I'm really excited about that um and just here I didn't plan on saying anything about this but I just wanted to quickly touch on this because I I know a lot of people are having a hard time right now with just you know, everything that's being like exposed in our world and then the COVID stuff and then people making up stuff about it. Um, and I'm thinking about doing this maybe next week or the week after an episode, um, actually talking about the science that's out there about a lot of the things that, you know, Facebook scientists have been saying. Um, so yeah, that might be the episode next week or, Later, I might get a doctor on the podcast that was actually um, inpatient, a frontline worker, not outpatient. Um, Yeah, so if you want more info on that, check out uh, my Instagram stories from the past couple of days about what was released yesterday. But anyway, about today's episode, one thing I just wanted to touch on for the episode today is at one point me and Connor are talking about just like small town life and everything like that and I've I've talked about that when I was telling my story of why I made the podcast and as always I always caveat that with you know like as far as the other banks goes if If you're happy there, then I'm super happy for you and more. I'm just sharing my experience of how I felt in high school and how I felt when I was back on the Outer Banks after I graduated and just not feeling like I was supposed to be there and just not feeling like it was the right space for me. So just wanted to say that. And then at the end of the episode... Well, just in general, me and Connor just, (laughs) it was like ping pong through a million different topics. But at the end of the episode, we kind of started talking about psychedelics and PTSD and all of that stuff. And at the end, Connor shared what he called an extremely unpopular opinion, which I didn't completely agree with. Um, I, I think he said something about like the word trauma being overused and I actually think the word trauma is is underused and a lot of people that have experienced trauma have shame or think it has to be this really big extreme thing um so actually I don't think there really are a lot of people looking to use it as a label to be a victim like I think there's actually a lot of people that that have experienced it that aren't acknowledging the pain that they have encountered and I think like widening what we think of as trauma is really important just so people can um, you know actually get the help that they need for whatever they're experiencing so I just wanted to say that Um, and yeah it's not something I completely agree with but I don't 
I don't like censor out parts of what my guests say on the podcast, so I figured I would leave that in, but just wanted to give you a heads up on that. But as far as the rest of the podcast, we just talk about a lot of random stuff, and it's a really fun conversation. Um, And one thing just about Connor before I go into his bio is... I really feel like with Connor, he doesn't mean he doesn't mean any harm in anything he says. It's just kind of his personality to to challenge people um, and kind of poke at their realities and in a way kind of make people uncomfortable to see some of their own biases and just really question everything. And I think that's really important with everything. Clearly, I actually have a lot to say today, guys, Um, but it just made me think like it's really important with everything like what I posted on Instagram yesterday with the black and white challenge that (laughs) I'm also just getting really ramped up. So I'm trying to trying to slow it down a little bit more for you guys. But with the black and white challenge you know, a lot of people, there's no question of it. It's just, oh, I'm going to do this because I got tagged in this and not ever thinking like, what, why was this started? What's the intent in this? Does this actually do anything to help women like in the physical world besides just on social media? And I think, of course, social media has an impact, but yeah, clearly there was some sort of kind of hidden agenda behind the black square thing and yeah if you don't know what I'm talking about ignore this or send me a DM and on Instagram and I will fill you in but anyway let's get into our guest for today so our guest today is Connor Moore Connor is the host of The Realness and Connor Wanders where he takes a straightforward approach to the conversations and issues that are the most pressing within our cultural landscape. Connor is also the co-host of the OK Babe podcast with Kelly Tennant, who was on my show before. And as well, he is also the co-founder and CEO of Soulfire Productions, a media company rooted in community that provides production and consulting for top podcasts in the wellness and personal development space. And just a little side note <laughs> to add to his bio, Connor Moore is Kelly Tennant's boyfriend, um, and they're just super amazing, and I'm just really excited to have both of them on the podcast now. So, <laughs> and also the realness, fun fact, used to be called the Pleasure Monkey Podcast, which I think is hilarious. But anyway, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Something hopefully lighter than all the, I don't know, craziness that's been going on in the world. So I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode and laugh a lot. And yeah, let's get into the episode. So the first question that I ask all of my guests, because it's the Finding Your Freedom podcast, is what have you been finding your freedom from lately? Oh, um, as weird as this may seem, uh, is going on political rants on my new podcast. (laughs) It's probably the most liberated I've felt in a long time, especially with having done so much like personal development content over the past four or five years and having all of these thoughts like in the back of my head just floating around. And getting more and more, it's like reached critical mass where I couldn't not do something about it. I have, like, I have all this recording gear and I have all these opinions. I need to put them into the world. So that's been the most fun thing and most free thing I've done uh, lately. 
Yeah, I've been seeing that and it's definitely been interesting. I like that you don't hold anything back. I think that's important. Yeah. And some people like, <laughs> people seem to like that I don't hold anything back as long as I agree with them. But as soon as I don't agree with them and don't hold anything back, they get very upset. It's very interesting to watch. And it's all, I mean, I'm just fascinated with human behavior. And I feel like, I mean, every country is just basically a human, human behavior experiment. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, that's what they all, these social structures from capitalism to communism to socialism, all, it's, just a, it's just an experiment, all of them. So it's fun to watch how people react in different systems. And I, it fascinates me. So when I get riled up and I'm, I'm definitely don't pick a side. So I just like kind of like jab at both. And uh, it's funny how people don't like to, don't, yeah, they don't like to accept that. <laughs> they need to put me in a camp. I need to be on a team. I need to be on team conservative or team, team liberal. And yeah, uh, it's, I just, yeah. It's so funny. I feel like it's easier to talk about like sex and threesomes than it is to talk about politics. Like people get more mad about politics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not shy about triggering people. It's pretty fun, but I will say I've, I've come out and talk about a lot of things that have been like personal and maybe controversial in my like media career, I guess you'll call it. Um, but nothing has gotten people more riled up. Well, I did make a joke about Mormons one time that upset a lot of people. I was very <laughs> surprised at how serious Mormons take Mormonism. <laughs> that kind of threw me out. I think that was my biggest backlash. I was like, oh, sorry, guys. <laughs> You lost like a thousand Mormon followers. <laughs> yeah, it's like I didn't know I had a big Mormon audience out there. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, yeah I actually fun, just this year started talking about politics because I was in the same boat. I was like, I talk about this certain type of like content. It's either science or it's like personal development and people don't want to hear about politics from me. And I was like, well, that's, that's stupid. Like I want to talk about politics because this affects everything and yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like it, it's been interesting for me because I feel that um, I break the mold in many ways when it comes to talking about media and politics. And, and I am really, if I'm, I'm not really anti anything aside from divisiveness. And I feel like whether it's, it's like, where, where can you do the most good in the world? I kind of ask myself that question. And I think, well, if I can use whatever I have to point out the way that we're being um, divided amongst each other and acting in this self-righteous way as if we're punching up at the establishment, but really we're just punching sideways at each other and we're distracting ourselves with that. I think that that's a, that's a message that's been spread more and more as of late. And I'm, I'm more than happy to jump on that bandwagon because I think that that's as far as mental health and just quality of life go, I think understanding where you're getting caught up in your biases and, and especially when it comes to uh, my favorite kind of facet of, of human behavior science, which is confirmation bias right? Just looking for information that confirms what we already believe, I feel is, is a really, a really challenging thing to overcome. And with limit, with my kind of beliefs on free will and how limited it actually is, I feel like you get these little glimpses of actual choice in your life. that's not predetermined. And, and you don't, if you're not super present to those and don't understand the forces that are at play, you don't really have the opportunity to make a decision that can actually really impact your life in a positive way. You got to be super keen to it. Yeah. I, I feel like I've seen this so much with quarantine and with COVID of like the amount of conspiracy theories and random shit that's been floating around. And like, uh, I don't know, my dad just sending me all of this like crazy stuff. And I'm like, you just want to believe this because you want to believe everything's a lie. And none of this makes any sense. It's just so <laughs> crazy. So yeah, I do. I do dive down the <laughs> rabbit hole and I find because some of the stuff I talk about on the show is serious. Like uh, for the example, the last episode, and that's the video I was just uh, cutting up right now and editing was about abortion and gun laws, right? Which uh, taking a kind of middle stance on both of them and, and kind of promoting logic and pragmatic approaches to these kind of things. But um, I do like to throw in some Alex Jones <laughs> onto my show just because it's so funny. You just went on this rant about how he was willing to eat people. And I was like, I th thank you so much, Alex Jones. Like, you just provide me with the best content all the time. It never fails. Like once a week, Alex Jones is going to do something absolutely incredible. And I'm going to be able to put that on the show and, and laugh at it. And it's just the sad thing about that is about 10% of the time he's right, <laughs> which is really scary. So I'm like sifting through the conspiracy theories and be like, which ones of these actually make sense? Like, did coronavirus come from a lab? Like all this, it was just, it's, who knows? It's the weirdest thing I saw today is like, so coronavirus people racistly were like calling it the Asian virus. And now there's like these Asian bees that are like coming to like attack us now. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, covering that on the show today too. The, uh, the, um, the, the murder hornets. Yeah. 
it's all it's all going down and i'm like i don't know we'll see what happens and i've also been watching westworld which is just like a complete destruction of reality it's so fun yeah what i like i don't know i I have to watch like sunshine and light type of tv or no tv at all or it just like really fucks with me like <laughs> westworld i watched like one episode and i was like i'm done i cannot watch this like, <laughs> i'm gonna question my own reality yeah it's fun though yeah. There's a certain type of person, and I'm sure we'll talk about psychedelics a little bit in this in this whole conversation, but there's a certain type of person who goes, Hey, I'm gonna I'm actually really okay with the with the darkness that exists and I'm not gonna be in denial of it. And actually I'll just dive right into it. And it's a place I've found myself several times and I find it really entertaining, to be honest with you. It's it's a fun, it's almost this like Buddhist detachment from expectations of what it's supposed to be and this acceptance of what is that I found um is the is the most grounded place for me to kind of exist in. Yeah, I have like, I don't want to call it a split personality, but I have these like two sides to myself where it's like, okay, I'm going to go out and do something crazy. And then I also am going to plan my whole week. So it's like, there's no in between. It's either like I'm having threesomes on the weekend or I'm getting a master's. Like there's just, (laughs) there's really not anything in between. Well, living in a dichotomy is a really fun place to be. It keeps people guessing. He keeps people interested in what you're doing. Yeah, people are always... um, confused <laughs> yeah um and curious which i think that's really fun <laughs> yeah and i think i think you know school work on the weekdays and threesomes on the weekend is a good it's a great way to balance your life out yeah yeah Why and not? i'm very very interested in human behavior too so the neuroscience and really like diving into that it's it's been really fun absolutely absolutely so you've been you've had a few threesomes since quarantine started or what are you coming out about it are you open about this? Am I coming out about it? Um, I've only had one. Um, only one. Oh, only one. No, that's not, not a big deal. Yeah, not several. <laughs> <laughs> Thought I was maybe gonna have another one, but that that didn't work out. So the other one didn't really sometimes. work out either. So <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, give it a try. <laughs> I mean, that's all you can do is give it a good college try. You know. It's so funny with me and Kelly, we would get into the threesome conversation and then I would like ask her a super serious conversation and I'm like seeing it going that direction with you too. <laughs> All right, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I kind of, honestly, I kind of hate this question. So I'm trying to think of a way to make it a little bit more fun. Um, okay. Kind of your story and how you got to where you are now, the short, sweet, juicy yeah, I can, <laughs> yeah, this is. And I think this is one of those questions. It's like a necessary evil to give people a little bit of context. So I'll do my best to sum it up. I came. I came from a small town in Texas. I grew up in a small town in the Bible Belt, Texas. Nine thousand people, oil and gas town. Um, grew up thinking I would just go into the oil and gas industry. That's kind of was my end all be all. That's like the the, the limited perception that I had on the world led me to believe that was the best <laughs> the best case scenario <laughs> for me. Uh, then I went and played some college football. Got injured actually got injured working, uh, working in the oil and gas industry in the summer off and couldn't really walk or like work out or anything. It was really this first existential crisis that I had and, and decided that I wanted to transfer to a school that I'd never been to and didn't really know anybody down there. I ended up going down to Texas State. And it was my first time in my life where I realized that without the expectations of everyone around you um, kind of projected onto you, you have a lot of freedom a lot of freedom. So that was this really pivotal moment in my life when I look back is like, that was the first big shift for me of going, Oh, you can really be whoever you want to be. Like that, that's, it's not, it's not limited to what people expect you to be. Um, but when you lived your whole life in such a bubble, it's really, it's really challenging, um, to break out of that. So from there, moved to Austin, uh, worked in the CrossFit and strength and conditioning world for about seven or eight years, owned a gym for a couple of years. Uh, that went down in flames, which is a whole entire story of real estate fraud and crazy, <laughs> crazy, crazy circumstances and, and naivete on my end. Um, then got into, uh, it just happened that I did ayahuasca right before. I it's very serendipitously like, found this group of people and did ayahuasca um, in Texas right before my gym closed. And that kind of sent me down this rabbit hole of, of what could be um, with my life and what I really wanted because I still, even though I thought I'd shed a lot of expectations, was still acting from those in a, in a major way. And owning a business was like my pinnacle of my, what I was supposed to do with my life and got all the things I thought I wanted and realized there was a lot more that I, that I, I just wasn't really happy. There was more to life than what I had experienced. So I started listening to a lot of Alan Watts, um, was experimenting with, with psychedelics and meditation and 
getting around different people, ended up working for this company called Onnit, um, which led me into a whole other realm of, of self-discovery. Um, and then through that started uh, a podcast that was originally called the Pleasure Monkey Podcast and then evolved into the realness and started a coaching program from that show, which was kind of random as well because it wasn't something I had intended on doing, but people were asking me for it. So I created a program based on the demand of people being like, hey, you need to coach people. Um, I've done that for about four years now. Um, and now it's kind of evolved into, into the next, I mean, this little like um, phase of shifting into what the next thing is. And uh, along the way, learned a lot about podcast and content and, and production. And then Kelly and I started Soul Fire Productions. So it's been this, this slippery slope into full-time podcasting for the last few years. It's, it's, it's a really experience, uh, interesting experience, but a lot of fun lessons along the way. And really, as far as my background goes, um, what I feel kind of drives me is that I had this very dichotomous um, situation growing up uh, with parents that were both um, struggled with addiction and then my grandparents who essentially raised me since I was five. Uh, being very loving and supportive. Um, so it was, I had both, right? I get to feel what it's like to have good parents and <laughs> parents that were wildly unreliable. Um, and then from there, same thing, like being a fat kid growing up and then being like an athlete as an adult. It was this really weird, I get to experience life through a lot of different lenses. And I think that's given me this, this approach on life that is um, more empathetic um, and and has a level of understanding from from really truly experiencing what it's like to be judged for something that's not your fault or, or have to experience, uh, you know, almost victimization to a point of something that you can't control. Um, and that's, that's really pointed me spiritually into a place of, of accepting, like I said, accepting what is and, and really releasing the expectation of what things should be, um, which has been really fun for me <laughs> at the end of the day. I wouldn't change it for the world, but it was not the most fun <laughs> way of <Fun>. life. <laughs> yeah, I definitely resonate with that. I also grew up in a small town, um, a little bit different vibes, but like a small beach town. Um, and I was always the one that everyone was like, what is she doing here? Like, she like tries to belong, but she's like questioning everything all the time and like thinks everyone sucks and like at certain points was a loner and dealt with bullying and all of these things and really left my hometown when I left like F you guys I'm out of here I hate this I'm never coming back um so I definitely resonate with the small town gotta get out and then you know everything just opens up for you and you're able to actually remove all the layers of everything Mm-hmm. that you've been told that you had to be there in the the scheme of the small town. So Yeah, it's it's weird how how ill-equipped you can be growing up in a small town to live anywhere else. I feel like that's more of the trap. Like people say like people don't people don't leave. It's like well they don't it's 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 hard to go from Graham, Texas to Austin, Texas. Like there's it's a it's a it's a really intense culture shock and you don't really know how to go about. Everything is so simple. In a small, that's the beauty of it. That's, a, that's how people like it. It's like you can go to the DMV and not wait in line. It's likely you're not going to be anybody in there. You know where to get groceries. You know everybody. Like it's it's the same things that made it really challenging for you and I is what people love about it. And it's just it's just a difference of personality. And it's 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 if you don't fit in that world, it's like yeah, it's like wearing a shoe that's too small. It just doesn't really give you the. It's, it's like a painful walk everywhere yeah, you go. You're uncomfortable, and you make other people uncomfortable. So it's. They want you to leave because you're making them uncomfortable and challenging what makes them safe in their small town. Exactly. I I get in that. My mom and I have a really good relationship now, but that's been kind of a hard one over the years. And I used to really be hard on her about Christianity because I, you know, criticize Christianity a lot Uh, in in all, a lot, not all, but most major religions. I I definitely give them all the same an equal level of criticism. Um, but for her, I came to this realization. I was like, dude, what are you doing giving her a hard time about her belief system when that's her social circle? That's, that's her community. Like, what has she been? If she, so you did, you did change her mind, right? And had her believe something else. You're only hurting the person because then she loses all of the things that she, that she Please. needs to survive in a, in her community. And it was, it was a really rude awakening for me of kind of feeling like a dick at the end of the day, because I needed to be so, I was so self-righteous that I needed to be right about something um, just to prove my mom wrong, which was, had nothing to do with Christianity or religion or belief <laughs> systems at all. It was totally something else. Um, so it was really interesting for me to, to understand that and, and really 
helps me grow as a human being to, to, to be more empathetic for those people that I didn't necessarily understand, but also understanding they don't understand me either. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. One of the big realizations I had was just, you know, my parents are never going to understand me. They're never going to get it and that's okay. Yeah. Trying to force them to is the worst idea ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, both of my parents, they never really found their thing. They never really found their passion. So in what I do, I, I feel like my mom in a way resonates more and my dad is actually intimidated by it in a way, mm. which is very, a very weird dynamic. Yeah. Well, even the idea, I think about this a lot too. Like my grandparents raised me and my granddad got a seventh grade education, He worked in oil and gas his whole life, really took care of all of us way. It's a superhero. He's like, my, he's, he's the boss, but he, uh, he didn't have the, the privilege to be able to be like, Oh, what am I passionate about? You know, he was good at something and it provided for his family. That's what his, that was his motivator. That was his driver. And we, we, we do, I think as a generation kind of project a lot of that under our parents of like, how could you not understand? They're like, dude, we just didn't live this world. Like this is not like spending a year finding yourself is not something that they had the, 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 the capacity or the privilege to do. Like they had to, they were living on, I mean, in our case, it was like food stamps a lot of times, you know, before I was around. Yeah. It's, it's interesting with my parents cause they both, they came from pretty Christian families and they were the mm-hmm. rebels. So they were both in college for five years and didn't know each other and simultaneously moved to the Virgin Islands at the same time <laughs> um, and like met there waiting tables and just, it wasn't really like they were struggling and trying to find their passion. They were like in paradise for 10 years, like fucking around. <laughs> <laughs> That's a much different upbringing than, or a much different parental situation than I had for sure. Yeah, That's very awesome. different. <laughs> oh man yeah my dad waited tables until he was like 56 until his body just could not wait tables anymore what a gangster that's awesome yeah he's definitely definitely a gangster he um has been going on facebook live lately and doing vinyl dj sets that are coronavirus themed i think i want to be friends with your dad Every guy that I've ever brought home loves him and it just makes me like so annoyed. I'm like, he's just like, he's a 20 year old guy for the rest of his life, but he's, he's fun. He's a lot I have a feel, I have a feeling I'm headed down that path to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're already doing better. Than- <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, I don't, I was about to say, I don't think he's done ayahuasca, but he probably has. I mean, it wasn't probably a spiritual experience for him though. Yeah, maybe just a little bit of LSD. That's that's the gener- that's the LSD generation. Lucky. Yeah, he probably just did LSD and like mushrooms and sat on the beach and stuff. Yeah, it's a good. This, a good this way seems to like a perfect time to attack the fuckboy to conscious man conversation. Yeah, let's let's get into that. Um, I don't know what you've heard about my uh, fuckboy status, but uh, you can you can enlighten me. I I don't I haven't heard that. I'm just like wondering if at a certain point in your 20s there was a shift or where you. I don't, I wouldn't want to say, I would never like want to peg someone as a fuck boy and ask if you resonated with that. Cause I wouldn't want to resonate. Uh, I mean, it, the, the word fuck boy is very broad. I think sometimes people get called a fuck boy just because um, they're not into the person that wants them to be into them. Uh, but yeah. so for me, I always had a very interesting relationship with relationships. Like I dated a girl um, most of high school into college that ended up being just, just, just naive love obsession infatuation codependency enmeshment like all that whatever you could you know that first like complete clusterfuck of a relationship um and that went really like that was really hard and then it took me a couple years to kind of like process what i wanted in relationships i just had no guidance right so it's just it was a complete like that's being lost in it and then in college dated a couple of girls pretty seriously. So I was always dating it for a long time until I got into my twenties. I was constantly like dating someone. And even then too, a little bit. Um, when I, when I was in the CrossFit world, I worked a lot. I was working like 5am to 8pm a lot of times, like throughout the day. So it's just really hard to maintain a relationship. So, um, as someone that it was like, I actually worked with that we had the same schedule. So it just kind of out of convenience, we ended up kind of having this, this thing for a long time. It's kind of friends with benefits situation that, um, actually showed me, I learned a lot through, um, but then just kept realizing that my, you know, into my mid twenties, like my, my patterns and relationships had really just been the same the whole time. And the four, 
you know, serious ish relationships that I'd had, the patterns of behavior were very similar, but the girls were all very different. So the common denominator was me. So that put, that pushed me into questioning one, what type of relationship structure I wanted and, and if monogamy was even the right move for me. And that led me to sex at dawn and ethical slut and mating captivity and these great books. And I just started questioning everything, which is something that I'm very passionate about is really just, I think that's why I'm so critical of so many things because I just have this relentless need to question everything. Um, and a lot of it really came to fruition in my questioning relationship structure. So from there, when I was, you know, I would say my late twenties is when I was, if, you, if I was going to give myself like a fuck boy, um, section of my life, it was definitely my, in my late twenties. Um, I, was dating a lot uh, and having a lot of fun with it. And my gym had closed. Um, I ended up in two relationships that were a little over a year long each, um, both very different, both learned a lot from, from those. Um, one was really just a complete shit show of like narcissism and, <laughs> and codependency. But after all that, I was like, you know what? I've got to just stop being in relationships. This is dumb. Like I got to really figure out what the hell I actually want. And that led me into just dating a lot and sleeping with a lot of people and going and just casually just being super fucking upfront and honest, like super upfront and just, and just on date one, just saying ridiculous to see what the hell I can get away with. Right. Like what can happen here? I mean, I almost feel like that's the opposite of a fuck boy though. Cause they're, they're supposedly not being honest and upfront. And I, I think I don't know. I'm not going to speak for all women <laughs> at all. But what I want is someone that's honest and upfront. And the most infuriating thing is when someone's like shady, I guess. Yeah. And that's why I would always get frustrated because I would get called the fuck boy. But then I'm like, I literally told you exactly what was going to happen. Like, I remember I, I had the text messages. Like, this is, I told you exactly <laughs> where I was at and what I was doing. And I think a lot of that is, is especially when you talk about uh, women in their late 20s or late 30s, is just like this, there's a lot of pressure on them to lock a guy down and do all that kind of fun stuff. So it's interesting to see how that all shakes out. But for me, it was just, yeah, I don't really like to take the tag fuck boy just because there was so much more to it than that. And it was just a lot of, and I, I really took a lot of pride in the fact that when I would have these, even if they were casual relationships, I found a lot of value in them and I felt like they were healthy on both sides and there wasn't a lot of deception or lying and definitely people's feelings got hurt and my feelings got hurt and things happened, but that's just, that's just relationships in general. So it was really cool to come out of that and then, and then meet Kelly and that kind of shifted a lot of things for me, which was, I wasn't expecting. And, and that that's been, um, I think really interesting for both of us to have kind of, she, you know, coming from somebody who, who kind of a serial dater and had been in relationships, you know, pretty much back to back for a long period of time. And I'd been single for the, for two years. It's like purely single for the longest time in my life, two or three years, I guess. And it was, it was interesting to see how much context I gained on myself through all that experience and just really being open-minded to what people had to share and what I could learn from them. And that I use dating in a lot of ways to one, meet people, but also just learn a lot about different types of people from different backgrounds. And that was fascinating to me. And I think that casual relationships aren't, aren't necessarily meaningless. I think there's a lot of value that can be added from those and a lot of, a lot of introspection that can come from how you handle yourself in those types of relationships. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think something that bothers me just, I feel like I'm surrounded by a lot of like strong, like independent, powerful women. And it's just so easy for them to just say things like men are trash. And I, I really hate comments like that because I feel like it just, you know, pegs us against each other. And that's, you know, we're all just people with like wounds trying to figure out our own shit in this like weird world where nothing makes any sense and everything's crazy. And yeah, it's just such a thing that I see that I I don't even really know how to combat, I guess. Yeah, it is. I think that's a, that's a narrative. That's like a victim, victim narrative in a lot of ways. But I think no one does themselves any favors, right? If you look at, look at both sides of this, like a lot of guys act like complete trash. And then a lot of women have a lot of expectations that are unrealistic of men in a lot of ways. And I, I feel a lot of times for people that women that are successful or, or in a place of power, because it is much more challenging from that for them to find healthy relationships. 
because there's there's you you add the level of uh, of insecurity of of in, in, you know income inequality in a, within a relationship, which is always hard no matter who has more money. But um, whenever it's the woman, it, it that opens up a whole other can of worms, and a lot, it takes a lot. A, a guy with some has done some self work and has some inherent self value to really be able to handle himself in that type of situation. Um, it's yeah. really interesting to see that all play out, though. Yeah, since I've um, moved to New Orleans, I've been ghosted like seven or eight times. <laughs> I was just like, I'm just done. <laughs> done with that. I but think it's ghosting, all- ghosting is so common though in the, in the dating app era. It's just like almost like you have to not take that shit personally. Yeah. I mean, it's not even that I like take it personally. It's just like the same. I mean, it's something where, that I need to look at myself because it's the same scenario repeated, but it's because I'm dating like men in their early 20s. It's that's probably the problem. <laughs> yeah, I've never, I've never, never dated men in their early twenties, but I can imagine it'd be quite a shit show. How old are you, by the way? Uh, twenty-three. Oh yeah, so your appropriate age range is like twenty-two to twenty-nine, ish. I would it, say it was. Guy-wise. <laughs> it was now what is it? it twenty-seven <laughs> to thirty-four. Yeah, I changed <laughs> my hinge up a little bit. I was like, this is not working. Um. <laughs> but you also can expect that's the thing about guys in their early twenties. It's like, what do you expect them to be like a grown ass man? Like those guys don't know what the hell they're they've been out of college. They were in a frat house like five minutes ago. <laughs> like, what do you expect from these fucking guys? I that's what I that's what I don't understand. I actually dated a woman who was I think 31 and I was 23. And she we got in this 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 fight about how I didn't um I didn't understand that sex was more important to to some people than it was to or how how much uh emphasis or 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 um, how much it meant to them or her especially but she was using them as, as as a whole as all of women um how much more it meant to them and how i should have taken it more seriously and i'm like i'm 23 years old like i'm not a child but at the same time like what do you expect what were you doing when you were 23 like what do you expect from me like you you're the one that chose to date somebody who was nine years or eight years younger than you <laughs> it's like yeah. i'm sorry i'm a fucking shit show like i, I don't and i don't claim to be anything <laughs> otherwise it was such yeah. a weird dynamic and I was like, oh, this is, I can see how this can be really, really hard I as myself. don't understand girls that are choosing like younger men. I really, I really don't understand it. <laughs> I mean, unless you're a sugar mama, that works out. Yeah, I guess if you just really like to be in control and have power. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little Demi Moore, Ashton Kutcher situation. That's what everybody's looking for. Yeah, something I realized like before I moved here that I've like tried to not repeat is that I would date people that I thought were not as ambitious or like intelligent as me so I could have power in the relationship and been consciously trying to obviously not do that because that's just setting everything up to fail, but it made me feel safe in the relationship. Yeah, and balance in relationships is is fun. Like being challenged in a relationship is is a, I think a, a really important part of a healthy relationship. Definitely, and I I don't think I've ever been challenged. <laughs> ever. Ever. <laughs> Come on. In in a relationship, I mean, in life, I've met people that have challenged me. Yeah. Mainly women, but. <laughs> Mainly women. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Well, and it's hard for it's it's also hard for younger guys to challenge women because there's a lot of especially now in the in the in the I would say the cultural and political narratives like that guys are you know all Brett Kavanaugh's you know what I mean or yeah. Joe Biden's I guess now but um it's interesting because you have to walk like it's it's weird to find a place where you can challenge a woman on her ideas without seeming like you're mansplaining and that's the thing it's like well if you do challenge yeah. someone right and like oh quit mansplaining to me and I'm like I'm not I'm just having a conversation with you just because I'm a dude and I'm having, I'm, you know, I have different thoughts and you doesn't mean that I think that your ideas are less than, or that you're stupid. I think there's a tone thing there, but it's like this almost like triggering reaction among sexes that doesn't really do us any favors. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I mean, I don't know. I think it just depends on person to person too. Cause I can never see myself being like, you're mansplaining me. Like I'm very open and not judgmental of people. Um, but you know, we'll see. I'm about to move to Boston, so we'll see if it's any better there. Oh, you'll get mansplained up there for sure. So I already I set my hinge to Boston already, and some man already mansplained me on neuroscience. And I'm like, you were a business major. I don't care if you went to Harvard. You can't mansplain me. <laughs> yep. That's your new reality. Welcome to, welcome to the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> so I'm going to turn this interview around on you real quick. And How did you get into having um, – 
quarantine threesomes or just threesomes in general? Where did that, where did that come from? I don't know. I mean, I think with quarantine, like the more that we've gotten into it, I've just been in this mindset of like, anything goes like, let's like, keep it exciting. Like, let's just like try new things. And I had first one. Yeah. Oh, nice. I had this like couple ish that was like pursuing me separately. Um, and I was like, anything goes, it's quarantine. Like, let's do it. (laughs) Um, so yeah, it was it was fun. I guess I kind of talked to Kelly about this too, but for me, I really realized that I was not very attracted to women. Um, mm. So it felt kind of like, why is this other person there? <laughs> like, I just want to hang out with this guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not what you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know, Kelly was like, we talked after the interview and she was like, she's like, I think you should like give it another try. Like you're giving me this vibes. Like you would be like interested in girls. And I'm like, am I <laughs> like, well, I mean, that's the thing too. It's like, just cause you're interested in women doesn't mean you're interested in all women. Just cause you're interested in dudes just doesn't mean you're interested in all dudes. It's always, it's, it's, it's especially when you open up like, Oh, Hey, I'm, I'm going to open myself up to this other half of the population. You got to kind of sort yourself out as far as like what you're even into in that, you know, it's, it's a weird it's a weird position to put yourself in, but it's also really, again, you learn a lot about yourself through situations like that. Yeah. I definitely want to keep experimenting. (laughs) I want to keep trying. Um, I think it's funny because after our conversation, I'm in a class this semester, behavioral endocrinology, and it was all like talking about like sex behavior and like sexual, like the biological basis of sexual orientation and stuff. And we were talking about the the Kinsey scale of you Mm -hmm. heard. Of that. I know about, I know, I'm, all about, I'm all about the Kinsey scale. All about the Kinsey scale. Well, I took it and I'm, I'm a two. And in my brain, I was like, I bet Kelly's a, a solid three. So I don't know. What do the numbers represent? So zero is like strictly heterosexual and then mm-hmm. six is strictly homosexual. And then three is like, com- like completely equal bisexual. And then two is like, you would like maybe do some like same sex stuff, but you're like more into one sex. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> oh, I was like, I bet this is what this is. Yeah, um, that makes sense. <laughs> but, I, need to, I need to take that test to see how they determine that. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's like all like psychological measures. It's like kind of stupid questions that you could make any certain way you wanted to. Um, <laughs> like any other personality test ever. Yeah, so it, it depends. Um, but worth a try. I'm into it. Yeah, definitely take it. Um, but yeah, I guess pivoting on you, what are some things in you and Kelly's relationship that are some of the biggest differences compared to relationships you've had in the past? Uh, I mean, that that time I spent single really helped a lot because I, like I said, I was just being so over the top as far as like what I was willing to say and do. Um, and what I was going to share with people that by the time I, I met Kelly, I was already kind of primed to be able to have really honest conversations. And I, and I, I you know, set some standards for what I, I wanted in a relationship early on. And I think that that was, and it wasn't like, um, necessarily ultimatums, even though she will say that they were, but I, <laughs> I think it was more like, Hey, here's where, I, here's where I'm at. And here's what I've chosen that I want in my life, which weren't very specific things, but like overarching kind of themes. And I think one of the most important things to, to point out here is it wasn't from a place of like judgment or what this other person's doing is wrong. And I want things to be done the right way, which is my way. It was never, never that. And I think that's, that's a, a trap people fall into. Um, what was different about this one is that I was able to really express myself in a way that I felt was genuine and in my own desires and, and, and explore them from a place of, of non-judgment. Um, that's been kind of the foundation that we've built our relationship on, which is, far different than what I had ever had before. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely, definitely see that. And it was great just like talking to Kelly about your relationship and just seeing her. So like, I don't know, just so lit up about it. It was just, <laughs> <laughs> it was just cute to see. Um, it was very cute. It was very cute. She likes you a lot. Aww. Maybe loves. <laughs> Maybe loves. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
But yeah, I think that is really important to get clear on, you know, what you want going into it and not, I don't want to say not be flexible, but be really clear on like what you want out of a relationship. I think that's nice. Yeah. I think the clarity on that a lot of times comes from where you fucked up in the past (laughs) too. It's like, where did, where did things go wrong and what part of that was my responsibility? And if you can look at it through that lens of like, okay, there's part of, obviously any relationship that, that went anyway, good or bad, like I had, a, I had a part to play in that. So what can I like dissect these and see what's, what was going on and, and what was going on internally? It gives you kind of a nice indicator of where to do some self-work too. What things to even think about or be considering or be, looking, be, or be on the lookout for as far yeah. as like behavioral biases. It sounds like in your relationship, you and Kelly trigger each other a lot. Um, I kill. I trigger Kelly a lot. She doesn't trigger me that much. She doesn't I'm trigger. Pretty you. Hard, I'm pretty hard to trigger sometimes, but not like I wouldn't call it. I feel like triggering is kind of like this like knee jerk response to a thing that kind of pu- pushes you to not think about it. Um, I definitely get in my funks and get a little weird, but it's not. I don't have the same. I'm kind of notoriously not uh, like not very excitable. Um. So it's actually caused, that's actually caused problems in my relationships where like girls want me to be excited about something and I just don't get like that excited. And the same thing is I don't normally get very like mad or upset. Um, I have a tendency to get pretty frustrated with things, but it's mostly myself. <laughs> I think I trigger myself when it totally triggers me. But every now and then, yeah, every now and then. But I definitely being the more um, gregarious slash like, um, out, uh, I want to say outgoing, but more out there of the two of us as far as this kind of stuff goes can, can push some buttons for sure. And yeah, I guess me triggering her triggers me sometimes. So there's like a little full circle trigger situation going on. Yeah, I feel like you just, it's, you like to push buttons. I very much like to push buttons. <laughs> it's, what, it's like, and it's also part of like what I just enjoy about life. I, I feel, sometimes I feel bad because I really enjoy like fucking with people and especially people that think that they're right. That's like my favorite thing to do. It's just, is is just find somebody who's so rigid in their belief systems that, um, and just pick on it, like poke at them. It, and it's not for a long time. I was kind of a dick about it. Now it's like more calculated. <laughs> say, but it's, it is fun. So I try and not do that in our relationship too much, but um, you know, it is part of who I am. <laughs> do you think there's like a certain degree of like creating some level of like excitement or chaos out of the mundane oh, yeah. of life? Um, yeah. I think the, the slippery slope for me is that I think that part of it, the creating chaos and just kind of um, stirring things up is, is from a good place is like, it's to keep things fun and exciting. But I also think I've used the same methods um, masquerading as that to push people away. And that was a big thing for me that I had to accept and understand about myself. That wasn't super fun to acknowledge. Yeah. When I was talking to Kelly, I was saying that, um, like one of the things I do is create like chaos when there's nothing interesting going on, like with coronavirus, <laughs> um, having a threesomes. And she was like, why are threesomes chaos? And I was like, you got me there. <laughs> Maybe well, I mean, threesomes are kind of chaos, especially at the beginning. <laughs> there's always a potential. When you add somebody else's emotions or feelings into a relationship, like it definitely does. Again, it can incite. You're definitely play. You're lighting a fuse there. If you, if you don't yeah, play your cards, right. Definitely let a fuse other girl, got jealous they left abruptly it was very chaotic <laughs> ouch are y'all still friends <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah that happens <laughs> I but it's also so. nice to get like this if you're gonna do this thing it's just kind of like go it's just we'll go it's part of the part of the game you know Definitely, definitely part of the game. Um, it's been chaotic for sure, <laughs> to say the least. Um, what uh, shadow quarantine things have been coming up for you? Uh, man, it's it's been interesting because it's like I, I was even journaling about this day. It's like I just want to go to a coffee shop and do my work somewhere else, you know? Because we have the podcast studio down in the basement, which is kind of my office, but I don't really like to work from down here because there's like no sunlight and I can't see people, and it's it's great for sound, but it's not great for like mental health. <laughs> it took me down here all day, um, so I've really missed just like being out and about and around people, and it it, it scares me that this things are, that things aren't going to come back to normal in in a reasonable amount of time. So that's put me in a place of 
really being curious about what's going to happen next because I decided at the beginning of this that I wasn't going to be selling uh, coaching programs unless somebody explicitly asked about it because a major part of the work that I do with people is how they interact with their outside world, right? That, that, that's, that's kind of the catalyst for in my inner work. That's, that's how I work myself and to do something different would be, I feel would be inauthentic and, and, and I wouldn't have the same kind of results that I, that I aspire to. So um, it's been really this, this existential crisis of like, what the fuck am I going to do with my life? And that's not, that that's necessarily a shadow work, but there's like shadow work that definitely is involved in that whole thing of what am I, where am I self-sabotaging and what is, what's the appropriate path for me going forward and, and how am I going to handle myself? Yeah, I definitely had, had some career stuff come up too around all of this and like money stuff and there was like two weeks before I decided if I was going to accept this job where it felt like if I didn't take this offer, then it was like, we're just in pause for forever and I'm just floating and I have no way to make money and I'm just like trapped. And yeah. I think I'm at like a better place with like the outside world of quarantine and what's happening. But there was definitely a point there where I was like, what do you mean things aren't going to just open? Like, yeah. it's, but now it almost, it's weird. It almost feels normal. Yeah, which is scary, actually, to me. Yeah. Like, I'm not about this at all. And I don't want all these small businesses to close, man. Those are my, those are my spots. <laughs> That's where I have to go. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to either. And just, like, going back to where I'm from, like, it's all small businesses, and they make all their money in the summer from mm-hmm. tourism. So it's like they're just not doing well. Yeah. And it's, we'll see what happens. But we've got to do something. We've got to do something. I, I don't know what the answer is, but – I'm definitely trying to figure it out <laughs> and listening to every angle and see what, see what, see what makes sense. Yeah. I feel like the answer was Bernie Sanders and he's gone. So it <laughs> would have been a, a move in the right direction, especially with his kind of war on trade deals that take everything away from Amer- American production. But that's the shadow side of capitalism, which is what we've chosen for ourselves. So yeah, okay. for, for now. Yeah. For now. <laughs> We'll see what it, we'll see where we end up, but I mean, and that's a, that's a huge driver and creates a lot of momentum. But we have to, we have to have systems to balance that out, in my opinion. And I think that this may yeah. reshape us, and there there will be some good that comes of this. As hard as that is to say, I don't want to be like, oh, let's see the light and everything. But there will be something. There will be things that come out of this that will fundamentally reshape uh, the way that we live our lives. Um, maybe some for the worse and some for the better, but we'll see. I mean, I'm open minded to see where it goes from here, and and. Um, how we handle ourselves. This is very, it's been very, very divisive as everybody's seen. And I think that's, that's something that's been building over the last um, seven or eight years um, that we've now kind of reached. I, I believe we kind of reached critical mass as far as how much we can hate each other without something going really, really badly. Yeah. I had like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people have just been having the feeling that something, something was going to happen and we didn't know what, mm-hmm. what it was, I guess. And, I don't know. It's, it's just been crazy. And I feel like, you know, when I'm just in my, my safe house here, no chaos. Um, it, it's like, you almost forget about how crazy it is that this even happened and just everything that's going on and that it's still all going on. New Orleans is starting to act like nothing's happening, but <laughs> yeah, New Orleans got hit pretty hard though, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, they did. Um, I know people are like, don't Mardi Gras shame, but I mean, it was totally Mardi Gras that, did it yeah i had the i talked about that on uh on the connor wander show about how it sucks that mardi gras was kind of what kicked it off but at the same time like that 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 income from mardi gras is probably what's gonna be able to keep these businesses alive yeah so it's, it's, it's a really it's, it's it's almost like well how much is it worth right like it's weird because that's that's the biggest that's the, yeah. probably the biggest financial week for them all year round definitely and like, I just can't even explain how much, like, the locals care about Mardi Gras. Like, I, they just wouldn't cancel it. Like, it would have I, – yeah. I don't even know. Like, it's just – it's so important. And it's – I mean, I could do a whole episode, like, dissecting Mardi Gras because, like, it's just a – it's a really interesting – concept yeah, it's, a, it's, a big, it's a big cultural it's a big cultural uh it's of high cultural cultural importance to that to that world down there and it's just, there's layers to it because there's like tourists that come in and fucking party but there's also like a lot more to it than that yeah it's i mean the most interesting part is that there's all these like authority figures 
that are professors, that are doctors, that are police officers, that the, all the people on the floats have masks on. So it's all of these like mainly men of power on these floats with like masks, like throwing beads and shit at people. <laughs> like it's it's really weird. It is very weird. Yeah, and it's like yeah, I, don't a week. Know. I don't know. It's very weird, but this seems like a good time to talk about plant medicine. Um, yeah, <laughs> nice segue. <laughs> um, so yeah, what's what's the haps? <laughs> what's the haps? <laughs> um, I've not done plant mes- medicine, so fill me in. You've never done any psychedelics? No, I haven't. Uh, well, I mean, shit, I started with, I did a little bit of a little small dose of mushrooms and then, and then kind of abruptly jumped into this ayahuasca experience. And, you know, psychedelics are an interesting, interesting topic to dive down. I encourage you to, to explore that. Um, because the, the legislation that we have in place, uh, that makes, you know, most psychedelics a schedule one drug is, was put in place by, (laughs) A good old uh, uh, Dick Nixon for to, to really suppress the hippies and African Americans, right? Like it was the Black Panther. It was like any kind of any any group that could rebel against the government or the war in Vietnam. Like they just that was all really uh, a super aggressive stance against their belief systems, right? So what we're seeing now is like a resurgence in um, one information, right? Because we have readily access to information and. Um, and two, just a cultural curiosity around these things that have been villainized for so long. And if you see that, you'll, you'll see this kind of trend of people, anything that's been, um, abruptly kind of spoken out against whatever you get, like for weed, for example, like I didn't, I thought weed was the worst thing ever until I was 20 and started smoking weed. Then I realized, oh my God, I've been lied to for my whole life. This is so dumb. Um, and just continued to smoke weed from then on out. But (laughs) uh and i'm fine i don't I haven't gone crazy i haven't killed anyone or <laughs> like i haven't devolved into a crackhead so i think i'm all right but um gateway drug me, yeah right <laughs> not even once um so yeah, just say no uh but to me i think that one thing that psychedelics provide is is a completely novel view of your own life and your own life experience um particularly with mushrooms do so in a, in a little bit less aggressive way than something like ayahuasca, which is can be completely out of body, um, completely altered reality. Whereas, whereas mushrooms are more of an augmented reality of what's going on around you, depending on your dosage. But there is something really powerful in the, and they've seen this in the studies with uh, PTSD and addiction, where you can take a step outside of your own kind of constructs and, and look at, through, at your life through a critical lens without that um, kind of, harshness that we usually view ourselves with that like air of that lens of judgment or frustration or shame whatever it may be for you uh, i found that to be very powerful in, in becoming a more compassionate human being and when you see me talk about politics and stuff you may not think of a very compassionate human being but I, <laughs> I do try and do my best but as far as the my interpersonal relationships have been shifted in, in in really profound ways over the past i guess seven years something like that yeah, it's it's actually crazy because what has made me want to do psychedelics besides hearing about them in the personal development world has actually been my neuroscience career. Um, mm. <laughs> in, in this grad program, it's just been so interesting to look at all the studies on psychedelics for mental health and looking at that versus SSRIs for mental health mm. and seeing like actually how much better psychedelics are and less harmful for your brain. I mean, I took a psychopharmacology class and my professor was like, the best drug for you is like LSD or mushrooms, like straight up. He pretty much just told us to take them. Um, And uh, yeah, I'm just super excited to see them eventually get destigmatized and used in psychotherapy. I hope. I know we're so close. So close. I mean, stage three clinical trials. I don't know how long that takes a couple of years, but I'm excited to see what's going to happen, especially because we have such an issue with, with PTSD and we always have, it's been called different things over the, over the time, over time. And I think it's like the numbers go up because we're more um, tapped into what that is in people. But I think that it does, you know, anything that we can do and any links we can go to, to increase people's quality of life, especially if they've experienced something very challenging to work through that is, is something worth investing in. And I think the SSRI is just suppressing um, any kind of emotions. And my mom had an experience uh, with SSRIs and, and 
after my grandmother passed away for about a year and it uh was really hard for her to uh to come off of them and it was it was it was eye-opening for her to see how how much of a shift those made sorry that was crazy how dark it just got but (laughs) yeah i i just have friends that are on them and have talked to a decent amount of people that take them and it just seems like it's it's just a flat line of no emotions and that's Mm -hmm not okay with me. I don't think we should be making people suppress everything and psychedelics aren't that. They're giving them a different perspective on their situation. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's like just because there's so money, so much money from pharmaceutical companies in SSRIs, that's why we can't move away from that. And in my classes and everything too, like neuroscience, now I'm going to get fired up. Neuroscience does not even back SSRIs. They're like 15% more effective than placebo. So like not effective basically. Well, they're Except- effective at making fucking money. That's what, yeah. that's the thing. Right. And if you want to get on the political side of this, like those pharmaceutical companies back all your major candidates, they are a humongous part of the mainstream media. So you also have to look at like where that, if you follow like a systemic issue like that down to the root, what you can't watch any mainstream news channel without getting served up um, pharmaceutical ads. They buy a, a ridiculous amount of pharma or of ad space on mainstream media channels and they will not openly criticize something that pays their bills. And to think that they would, if it was like that was big news, which there's lots of big news when it comes to pharma that does not make it out to the to the masses and you have to be searching on youtube to find it um that uh that, that we just don't see because it, because they're bought and the politicians are the same way and it's like if you think you don't bite the hand that feeds like that's that some people can i've done it before it's not fun and it's hard it sucks so that's no one does it but it's like if they're responsible for it and that's why I, I was such a bernie sanders supporter is from his stance on these the, the impact that these pharmaceutical companies have on on our um on our politics on our media and on our essentially our, our healthcare programs, um, it just isn't warranted and isn't isn't providing wellness or benefit to really anybody. Um, but it does numb out a population, which is you know that's what you want. That's what you want. But you can't process emotions unless you can feel them. You know, <laughs> it's just kind of part of the game. Completely, and it's it's super interesting because you would think, I guess, like the establishment wouldn't be moving in a different direction but actually like a ton of research at harvard is like moving away from ssris and i'm sure you've heard of like using ketamine which for Mm -hmm. me is like a step in the right direction but it's weird to me that ketamine was the first one to get approved ketamine was already approved that's that's how that happened i don't know if you're familiar with like the background of that but ketamine was already approved by the fda as a as a tranquilizer so that was already fda approved to being safe so they just changed the dosage and use it for a different means, but it, it was already, it had already passed clinical trials. They just mm-hmm. use it in a different method, but it, since it was already deemed safe by the FDA, which is also bought by pharma companies, by the way. Um, uh, so yeah, it was, that was a really good workaround, but I don't think it has the same um, impact or benefits that um, MDMA, psilocybin, and even LSD to an extent. And I don't think they're doing studies on LSD, but if you go down the rabbit hole on MK Ultra and the government mind control experiments that are, that actually happened that involved Charlie Manson. Like there's some crazy stuff that's, these aren't conspiracy theories. These are just facts. Like this was inc- insane. Like do not, to understand that, that the United States government dosed Charlie Manson with LSD before he was Charlie Manson. Like that's some shit that you're like, what? That didn't happen. It's like, no, that actually, that, that happened. <laughs> it's fucking weird. It's weird. Man. Uh, it's, it's definitely crazy. And I mean, ketamine, they're calling it, you know, a psychedelic, but it's like a completely different neurotransmitter. It's it's just numbing. I mean, yeah, you it's, only well, it's take a, it's a it's a diso- dissociate. I have a friend who is a is a ketamine um, clinician. She she's a, a therapist that has she's now certified to administer ketamine. She had amazing results with it, amazing. And we had done other psychedelics together as well. Um, so having her experience having experienced a high dose of mushrooms and ketamine, but ketamine was such a dissociate that it helped you it's a different pathway than like MDMA, which like you'll, you'll have like a blissful um, euphoric experience and you can go to handle, handle challenging things because you don't have the same like anxiety around it versus uh, ketamine, which yeah, dissociates you from them. So then you go back and handle them from a dissociated place. They both have validity, but I would say that, that MDMA would be a more powerful um, and probably a healthier way to go about doing it. If I was to 
you know, formulate my own opinion on it. But as far as neuroscience goes, like you definitely know more than I do. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I'm excited that ketamine, I guess, has been taken on, but I definitely want more of that to be like used with psychedelics and different therapies and with PTSD and everything mm-hmm. as well. Um, so that's what gets me really excited about it, but I have not done it yet. Um, one day. <laughs> I mean, wait till you're 25. 25 is a good age to start. 25? Yeah, let your prefrontal cortex get all formed up first. True. <laughs> good advice. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just just simply just let your let your brain be fully developed before you start uh, dosing it with psychedelics and rewiring your neural pathways. But it does feel like it does it does feel like you're just shaking off like shaking off dust off your mind. It's very interesting. Do you feel like do you feel like you had PTSD? Like do you resonate with that label or uh no i don't i don't think so i think i think sometimes people want to believe they had they like especially with the word trauma i think the word uh trauma gets overused this is a very uh, unpopular opinion that i haven't really <laughs> spoken out about lately or publicly i think the word survivor gets overused now i think that we just keep up leveling the wor- a word for victim um to make it sound more and more important which actually to me it's like if you're a Holocaust survivor, that's a much different thing than like um, being a survivor of, of sexual harassment. Like I don't think that's really the same, the same thing, both bad, but it's like, you got to understand that you're just trying, you're just a lot of times people take these things like the word trauma, for example, and just, and just trying to, and just try and force it in to make themselves seem more like they've had a more of a struggle or they, or they need that phrase of that word trauma. And it's like, to me, I look at my life and I'm like, yeah, there was things that were hard and different things I didn't need to see as a child, but I don't think I would call like myself having had, or look at my life and think I had like traumatic necessarily experiences. I just had challenging ones. Um, but I think I do err on the side of, of, of pragmatism and trying to think like, well, how much, how much of me calling this trauma would be just seeking validation and excuse for, X, Y, and Z. So I prefer to look at it through the lens of like a challenge. I, I've, I've processed some challenging experiences with psychedelics, but I don't consider myself having like have had PTSD or anything like that. Yeah. And I think like a important distinction that people make with PTSD is like, I don't even know the like percentage of the population, but like 75, 90% of the population has experienced something that's traumatic, but yeah. having PTSD is a different thing. You can experience something that is traumatic and not have PTSD. Yeah. I mean, two people can get in the same car accident and one have PTSD and one not. And that's just like, that's, it depends on, there's just so many factors at play there. Right. So I don't want to ever belittle anybody's experience. But I do think that the language we use is very important. Yeah, I think so too. And kind of like what you said about the whole victim mindset thing, it's, it's choosing your language to not be a victim, like that I overcame this, but I'm not, I'm not this. I'm not yeah. a PTSD human or whatever yeah. you, you want to call yeah. yourself. And I think this has been the word survivor has been thrown around a lot when it comes to like, uh, I don't want to say like sexual assault necessarily, but sexual harassment um, is one that I get a lot. And I'm like, well, that's, that's actually a, the very appropriate use of the word victim. But now everybody's a victim of everything. So like that, <laughs> the word victim has been watered down. It's like, well, you're a victim of oppression or you're a victim of, you know, socioeconomic pressure. Or you're a victim of this or that or this. It's like we have a, such a fucking victim free for all now. So we have to up, up level the word victim. If you were a victim of something else to be now it's a survivor. And it's like, well, what, where are we going from there? Which direction are we heading here? Like, yeah i like i feel like for me maybe i've just not been plugged in with that i for me i'm like i think of survivor and i just think of like the show <laughs> yeah i mean there's two uses of the word survivor when you say someone is a survivor it's the holocaust and the tv show yeah <laughs> and there's actually a very funny curb your enthusiasm episode about that yeah i need to i need to watch that <laughs> yeah he, he invites he invites somebody over he's like he has a, he said he had a, had a friend that was a survivor and so this other person invited him over because they had another friend that was a survivor so they could talk and one guy was on Survivor and one guy was a survivor of the Holocaust. Yeah. <laughs> and then they got in a fight over whose life was harder. It was so absurd. Oh my God, yeah. Fantastic episode. Dude, that's, that's your homework for the day. That's my homework. All right, I'll, I will complete that. Well, this has been super fun. I feel like we've really covered everything. Literally everything. <laughs> really everything. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. I had of course. a fun time. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> See you later.
You're like, it actually sucked. No, it didn't.